I hope so. I'm looking forward to the Lord coming, and there have been quite a number of times where I've said, Lord, please come quickly. Just like that young boy who got in trouble with his parents, and he didn't want to be disciplined. He said, Lord, please come quickly right now. Now, we've had those trying moments, maybe not as a young child, uh, but seriously, I want the Lord to come. And I certainly understand uh, when we have loved ones who do not know the Lord, and there's a, like we want them to come to know the Lord, we know they're not ready. Spoke to a dear sister this week who is very anxious about the Lord coming. She said, I really want the Lord to come. She says, but I, I just want my family to get saved before that happens. And I understand uh, all of us have friends or some family member uh, who is not right with God. And we want to do our best to be a testimony to them by our life, but also with the gospel so they can hear it and so they can be prepared. Now, would you please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're working our way through this particular passage of Scripture. One of the themes that runs through this particular letter that the Apostle Paul is writing uh, to the church of Thessalonica, and that is the coming of the Lord. He's alluded to this right at the beginning in chapter 1 and several other verses through the Scripture, and now he comes to a very, um, what I consider one of the passages most familiar to people who are uh, familiar with uh, the book of First Thessalonians, but very familiar thinking about the Lord's coming. And I've entitled the message, The Lord is Coming, Are You Ready? And I hope that you do some introspection this morning about your life and to make sure that you, first of all, have made peace with God by turning from your sin and putting your complete trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'd like to think that everybody who attends a Bible-believing church understands that and has accepted that, but I have been in churches where people have been there for quite a long period of time. God touched their heart, and they said, I've been sitting here, uh, even some members of a good Bible-believing church, and I was not saved. And God opened up their heart, and they were saved. So I, I'm hoping and trusting every one of you have come to a place where you have genuinely, from your heart, not just become religious, not just turned over a new leaf, not just made a New Year's resolution, but you have turned from your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ alone, who has died for you on the cross of Calvary. And then you've realized that he's a resurrected Savior, and you are regularly living for him. Uh, that's the way you can be ready when the Lord comes. We don't know the day nor hour. I know one of the hymns that we sing sometimes in the morning uh, some golden day break, Jesus will come. We don't know whether some golden, golden day break, but we do definitely need to be ready. So let me read this passage of Scripture to you, and then we'll dig in. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. 
For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for these wonderful promises that are laid before us right now. May, Lord, in our hearts, may we rejoice in this marvelous, blessed hope that you're going to come for us. We don't know when. It may not be in our lifetime. It may be. But, Lord, I do pray that all of us will be ready, knowing that we have to stand before you. Speak to our hearts. Encourage us, Lord. May we take your words and encourage one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, a number of you uh, are very familiar with what we call a doctrinal statement or constitution. We have here one at Victory Baptist Church, and, and uh, I actually put, had put in that particular um, outline that many of you picked up this morning or were handed to this morning, uh, the position that Victory Baptist holds. Now, there are many, many, many thousands and thousands of Bible-believing churches have essentially the same teaching and instruction here. They may not all have Baptist title in them, but they do believe the same thing. So I read just some, some, uh, some of this just to kind of get you started in this message. This is what Victory Baptist Church members believe. We believe in the personal and imminent coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in the air for his saints. Imminent meaning he come at any time. This event is known as the blessed hope or rapture. We believe in the personal, visible, and glorious return of Christ to earth with the saints. We believe that between these two events will occur seven years of intense tribulation. And uh, I'm adding a few things that are also there uh, later on in their doctrinal state. We believe in the positions known as the pre-tribulational and premillennial return of Christ. Now, we don't have time to develop that, but uh, this is not something, this teaching is not something that is just very vague. There are plenty of scriptures uh, that share with us and, sh and teach us about future things. Uh, when we talk about being ready, I'm reminded of several different things that have come to my attention, uh, which kind of make me aware of the fact that sometimes we uh, may not always be ready. I, I talked to somebody who was worked at a garage in the inspection station, and they, they were sharing with how important it is for them to write down every single thing when they did an inspection of a car. And we were kind of chit-chatting back and forth, whatever, talking back and forth, and they said, uh, we don't like doing this, but we have to do this because uh, we could have the state police stop by any point in time during inspection seasons, and I know scattered throughout the year. And they don't always tell us when they're coming, but they look at the records. And if we don't have the records absolutely correct, they could shut us down. So there's a perfect illustration if you're involved in doing inspections. 
a number of years ago, was in a fast food restaurant. And uh, I try not to uh, go to those places too often. Once, once in a while in time of desperation, I do. So I was there, and I was standing by the counter ready to order something. And somebody who looked rather official came in, came up to the counter, and asked uh, whoever's taking care of the cash register, whatever, and said, is your manager here? And the person said, yeah, let me, let me get the manager. Well, um, the manager came out, and I, I was very, very close to him, but I could see there was a relatively serious look on the face of that manager. And the man who came there said, uh, I'm with the food department, I remember exactly his title, he says, I've come here to do an inspection. Now that particular manager, um, I, I don't know if all the color faded from their face, but I do remember them saying something to this inspector. Could you come, please come back later? And he said, no, I'm not coming back later. It was obvious there was, they were not prepared for an inspection. And that is just using a couple little things like that. We have to understand, though it's not a garage inspection station, no, it's not a fast food restaurant, whatever, we are someday going to have to give an account to God. And we don't know when that's going to be. That's why we need to make sure we're ready all the time, regularly. And you may have had a few incidents in your life where somebody has stopped by and you didn't have the house all tidied up and you start thinking all kinds of excuses to make. Yeah, you might not tell them to go away, but you sure wish they would have let you know that they were coming. The Lord is coming. Are you ready? Do you know that there are many, many scripture passages talking about the Lord's coming? The Lord has promised that he will come back. There are approximately 330 verses in the New Testament that refer to the second coming of Christ. Now, we know, if you know the Bible, you know there's a lot of scriptures in the Old Testament talking about the Lord coming. Now, the Lord's coming. Some of these verses speak of the Lord coming in the air to take his believers to heaven. We know this by the term rapture, all right? Some of you are very familiar with that term. Other scriptures refer to Christ coming to earth to establish his kingdom. And when he comes, either one of these uh, events, when he comes, they will be sudden and without warning. And you won't be able to say to the Lord, please, could you wait another week or two? You'll not be able to do this. Will you be ready? Will you be living faithfully when he comes so that you will not be ashamed? Now, for those of you who are, it's not maybe clear, it's a little fuzzy about the separation between these two different events, which is really approximately seven year period in time, uh, when these different events will occur. Uh, the rapture could occur any time, then there's gonna be a seven year period of tribulation, and then there will be the coming of the Lord to set up his kingdom. I put some handout sheets in the back there, you can take this along that show you the different scriptures that differentiate, and it's not unusual for me to come in contact with people who believe the Lord is coming, but they haven't seen the distinction between the two. So we're going to center our attention upon this thought that the Lord is coming, remind ourselves of it, he's coming for every believer. It is all, this time is often called the blessed hope. 
And indeed, there are some very specific characteristics that indicate why it is the blessed hope. We're going to share a few of those characteristics with you this morning. First of all, this is a message of comfort. Comfort. Now, you could put your, the word encouragement if you want to in there. Basically, the same thing. But here is a indefinitely a message of comfort. And as we develop this particular thought, this message about the Lord coming back in the air is a message filled with hope. This stands in contrast, stark contrast, to unbelievers who have no solid hope. Now, coming back to the scripture again, verse 13, he says, I would not have you be ignorant, brethren. Now, he's not being impolite here. He's saying, basically, I really want you to know what's going on here. Uh, let me make pause here and say this. They had already been told about the Lord's coming, but there were a couple things they were not clear on that the Apostle Paul wanted to clarify, and that indeed he does. He talks about this idea of uh, those who are asleep, not speaking about people that are sleeping in the congregation when the preacher is preaching. This is talking about people who actually die. This is what's called a euphemism. It was a common expression used uh, in, in, particularly in the New Testament, but even in, in the, uh, we could see the pagan world, the word was used. Maybe you didn't know this, but uh, just kind of a little trivia. You see places, sometimes they're called memorial gardens, but they're called cemeteries. Uh, the word cemetery is really the same word that as, as like a dormitory. Now, we have a couple of college students here that may be living in the dormitory. I'm not sure, but you understand what a dormitory is. But it is a sleeping place, sleeping quarters. That's what this word cemetery literally means. And I think probably that word became used as cemetery because people did believe that the body would be put in the ground and be sleeping, but it would be resurrected someday. Now, you may not see that on some of the more modern um, stones, memorial stones, but I've been to a number of uh, places going back maybe 100, 200 years, and I see this scriptures, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, actually written on there, being absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So the word was used in that regard. The pagan world in the New Testament times had no hope of life after death. Oh, there are lots and lots of writings about this. Uh, one man said this, Theocritus said, there is hope for those who are alive, but those who have died are without hope. Another one said this, when once our brief life sets, there is one perpetual night through which we must sleep. And one epitaph, epitaph on an ancient tomb said this, I was not, I became, I am not, I care not. Uh, I read a whole bunch of these when I was doing some study on this, and it's like even, even some things that were written uh, down and uh, during the time, first century, even in Thessalonica, showed some of this hopelessness 
that was pervasive when a person died. And so he says, I don't want you to sorrow like those who have no hope. Now, he's not saying don't sorrow. When you lose a loved one, somebody dies, it's very painful. Like sometimes people say, I, I, you know, my whole life just crashed in front of me. Uh, I've gone through these experiences with loved ones, and, and, uh, and it's, it's, there, there's no way that you can explain how painful it is. He's not saying don't sorrow. He's saying don't sorrow as others who have no hope. The backdrop was that anybody who came from this first century environment knew that the whole culture had no hope about the afterlife. He said, but you don't have to sorrow like that. So this is a message of hope. Religious people today have a hope so religion, but know little or nothing of the blessed hope. Uh, maybe you have gone to uh, memorial service, celebration of life, funeral, whatever, where most of the people there are, are not believers in Christ. And I've been to too many of those, and I want to say in some respects it can be, not just with the sorrow itself, but it can be very, very, we say depressing, and that's saying it mildly, where there's just an absolute hopelessness there. And I've seen just the contrast of this where there's sorrow because a loved one has passed on, but the loved one is with the Lord. Many of the family members or friends and so are saved. And it's like, it's not, I'm going to say it's a, not a party, but it's like so different, so different. So even in this present culture in which we live, the contrasts are great. So here we have uh, our our Lord, through the Apostle Paul, trying to provide hope for them. Titus chapter 2 says, Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this is a message of comfort because it is a message of hope. Also, it is a message of comfort because we know the Lord is coming, so we know that death does, does not end all. And even as I cited some examples to you before the first century time, he says this, uh, verse 14, For if we, and we could basically say, for since we believe, because these were believers, that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also would sleep in Jesus will God bring with him? All right, so uh, let me explain just a little bit more about the background situation was what the Apostle is addressing. See, the believers have been told about the Lord is coming. But at the church at Thessalonica, from what we can gather, we don't have it specifically stated. Apparently, some of the believers had died since the Apostle Paul was there ministering some months before. And they knew the Lord was coming, but it was like, it wasn't clear. Maybe it wasn't clearly taught at that time. We don't know for sure. But they thought, oh, they died. We were expecting the Lord to come now. What's going to happen to our brother who, who, who just died. We, we know that they were saved, but are they going to miss out on this 
this glorious event. And are they going to miss out maybe somehow on the blessings of the resurrection? So that's kind of the backdrop where he's trying to encourage him. Don't be concerned. Don't get yourself anxious about this. God has that under control. He has that taken care of. Would you agree with me that God has these things under control even if we don't understand them? Indeed, he understands even when I drop my glasses and I can't read my notes. God knows everything, and he is giving them an assurance that death does not end all. Now, let's just kind of work our way through just briefly this. The Apostle Paul is now explaining to them that, yes, the Lord is going to come, but those who have been in Christ, those who have died, are also going to experience a resurrection of the body. So they're not going to miss out on the resurrection at all. In fact, it's going to take place right around the same time if the Lord comes in your lifetime. And of course, Paul didn't know, and the Thessalonians didn't know exactly when that was going to occur. They realized it could have occurred. They were expecting it to occur. But he said, those people who have died before are going to actually, and the idea is, they're not going to lose that. It's not going to be second place. It's like God's going to take care of them first. The wording seems to indicate God's going to bring back the spirits, the souls of those with him, and then they will be connected with their new resurrected body. Now, although it's not explicit right here, we do understand 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that's basically what's going to happen. Now, I have to throw in a, bring a few other verses in here. The Bible talks about Jesus has said, what to the thief on the cross who believed? This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. The apostle Paul says this, I have a, de I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Second Corinthians chapter 5, he says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when a person dies, it's not like they're, it's not like their soul is sleeping in the grave. No. When you die, if you're a believer, your soul, your spirit, the immaterial part of you, the real you, immediately goes in the presence of the Lord. Immediately. So you don't have to, if you see the body of a loved one who's known the Lord, you don't have to like think that they're still there. Uh, numbers of times I've said this. Well, I've stood by the graveside or perhaps at a funeral home. I said to loved ones, I said, isn't it comforting to know that the real, your mother or whoever it may be, is not right here. This was a shell that God gave her for a period of time, but she's now with the Lord or he, whoever it may be. But someday she will get, or he will get a brand no body. So in this time period called we call the rapture, the snatching away, what will occur is people who have died before us, perhaps you've had a loved one who's died before, their body has been put in the ground, but they've been in the presence of the Lord for however long they've been had since the time they died physically. But God is going to do a miraculous thing at this particular time. He's going to resurrect them, their new glorified body, 
will be immediately inhabited by their spirit and they will enjoy the blessings of heaven, which they're already experiencing. They just don't have the resurrected body at this point in time. Now, how much can we say, how much time is going to occur, the difference between those who are still alive in this, this coming, we don't know. It's going to be very, very quick, okay? So we can't put a timetable, but the Bible says, first, these people are going to resurrect it, and then the rest of us who are living when this rapture comes are going to be snatched up together to be with the Lord. Now you say, are, am I going to leave my clothes behind? Uh, can I take my cat with me? We have two cats, by the way, which we love very much. If you, you have a smell. I don't think that's going to happen, but you can discuss that later on in your, in your, in your home, whatever. Uh, and just maybe talk to your, talk to your pets, okay? Let's say I'm not sure I'm going to be able to bring you along, but I'm going to take care of you the best I can. Uh, but the reality is we are going to be part of this. At this wonderful time where the Lord is going to come and he's going to take our loved ones with him and he's going to give them a resurrected body and we are going to receive a new body. And John read about this, where this is a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. By the way, you maybe heard that somebody put that sign on a nursery door. We shall all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now, that's taking that verse out of context for sure. This is talking about we're not going to all die, but we all will be changed. Now, I, I know that the Bible speaks about the assurance and confidence we can be with the Lord. But I really am not looking forward to death and going through the gateway of death. It's... I, I really know it's kind of unpleasant no matter what. It's this Bible talks about this thing of sin, you know, and all. But I'd really rather like to miss that death doorway and be snatched up, all right, and immediately receive a new body. And each day that passes, I'm getting more and more anxious for that new body. And don't don't ask me about why I'm thinking that way. All right, so. The Lord is coming, so we know that death does not end all. The Lord is coming before the seven-year tribulation period. This is called pre-tribulationalism. Now, would you all repeat that word ten times as fast as you can? No, you don't have to worry about that, but it's talking about the Lord is going to come before the tribulation period, before the time of, of cat catastrophic judgment that's going to come upon this world, spoken about in Revelation chapter 4 through Revelation chapter 19. What a relief this is for believers to know that they will not have to go through this awful time of judgment. How in the world could you be comforted if you knew you had to go through that tribulation period? I realize there's some very well-meaning people I think they're misdirected to think that the believers are in the tribulation period right now. Well, we are in a period of time that uh, very unsettling, no question. But it's what the troubles we are seeing right now, 
are only a microcosm of what's going to be like in the tribulation period. I was talking to a dear brother not too long ago, and we were, we were talking about how many billions of people, I think we figured out like half the world's population, if there's seven billion, three and a half billion people are going to be killed within the seven-year period of time. Perhaps the majority of them in the first three and a half years. Did you ever think about that? So even though, even though we have a lot of problems in this world, and there's, a, there's death all the time, realize it. We ain't sent, excuse the English here, we ain't seen nothing like what the tribulation period is doing. We're not going to go through that. If you're a believer, you're not going to go through that tribulation period. God's going to take us out, away from it. In fact, the Bible actually speaks about this, how he will actually remove us from this time of wrath. God has not appointed us to wrath. And so we're not part of this. So we actually have a wonderful message of comfort. And although we are not through the message yet, but notice, go back to verse 18, wherefore comfort one another with these words. It's a message of comfort. Secondly, this is a message of triumph. A message of triumph. You see, this message about the Lord resurrecting those who, people who have been in Christ, who have died, or rapturing us, is, is not bad news. This is real good news. It's not about defeat. It's nothing related to discouragement whatsoever. It's not like a concession speech that some politicians have to make, even with some measure of reluctance. It's not like that. This is a triumphant time. The entry of our Lord in the air will be triumphant. Now, there are several different expressions that are used here. We don't know exactly all what's involved here, but the Bible talks about uh, with a shout. Who's doing this shout? Is it God? Is it the angel? We're not sure. But the idea of a shout here conveys the idea with power, a shout of authority. It's somewhat like, uh, was used in the military term, uh, military terminology for somebody who was leading a, a group of soldiers in a war. They shouted and they went forth in the battle. That's the idea. Have you, any of you studied a little about Gettysburg? Anybody know about one of the leaders in Gettysburg? His name was Chamberlain who some historians think that he was probably the, um, the main character that won the, the North that the Yankees won. Now, excuse me if you're from the South, I, I'm not trying to offend you or anything like this. Just using this a piece of history here. He ran out of ammunition. Uh, the rebels had come up, up, you know, uh, up the hill, up the hill, came up the hill where they're a little round top, and he had nothing left. So what are you going to do? So he led the charge down the hill, shouting, and all his men followed after him, ending up defeating the rebels. All right? Now, I probably got myself in trouble by saying this. Hopefully I, I didn't. I won't, hopefully I won't lose you on these things. But nevertheless, the idea is a shout of victory. And Chamberlain obviously didn't know that for sure, but this is going to be a shout. With the voice of the archangel conveying power, with the trump of God, this is 
I would say in contrast to taps, which are rather mournful, uh, somber. This is a wonderful time. This is a triumphant time. The end of our Lord in the air will be triumphant. I don't honestly don't know uh, if unbelievers are going to be able to hear it. Uh, it seems like the unbelievers will not understand what's going on, and they won't be able to. They won't have the capacity at that particular time, and maybe not even afterwards if they rejected the gospel of this age, even believe. <clears throat> but we're going to hear it. You say, "Well, I, <clears throat> my hearing's not so good." Uh, you'll hear it. All right. You're going to hear this shout, and we're going to go. The events occurred in, occurring in conjunction with the Lord's coming will be triumphant. The dead in Christ will receive resurrected bodies. We're not talking about soul sleep here. Remember this. Those who are alive in Christ will be glorified. We spoke about this, uh, and I just reemphasize this scripture. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Now, I don't want you to lose sight of this phrase in verse 17. If it says this great resurrection and the rapture, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wow, we're going to be with the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. There will be no more pain and sorrow and heartbreak. We're going to be with him forever. So you think this is a kind of a, well, kind of a little bit scary? Well, I guess in some respects, but it have to be. It's going to be a triumphant time. The Lord is coming, and it may be soon. I've had ask me, ask, people ask me the question, do you think the rapture is, is going to happen soon? I say, I hope so. Uh, what do you think? I said, well, I'm thinking it could. I believe it could. Well, well tell, me, tell me for sure. Are you sure the Lord's going to come in our lifetime? I said, no, I can't tell you for sure it's going to happen in our lifetime. But I know he will. He will come. And we're going to be raptured and be with the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. This verse of scripture, 1 John 2, verse 28. And now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. To him, we sing, maybe today my Lord will come for me. Uh, will you be ready? Could you say, you, could you give a Bible reason why you know that you have become a child of God, that you've been born again, that you've been saved, that you've been truly forgiven of your sins? Could you give a Bible reason for it? Not just, well, I feel, I think, I hope. I hope you're able to do that. That you know you turn from your sin. You put your trust in the Savior. And you know in your heart, though you don't deserve it, you know you're a child of God. Are you here and you say, I know God has saved me. He's, he's forgiven me. I know of eternal life. I know that. 
but are you living faithfully for him? Are there some areas of your life where they're kind of like you know, some closets of your life that you, you're kind of keeping yourself? Or are you living your life open and transparent before God, knowing that he knows everything? I want to encourage you to do some serious introspection. And if there are some area of your life that you know you know God's been speaking your heart. You know you need to step forward and be obedient to him. Why not do that? It could be that somebody's here. You are a genuine child of God. You know you need to show your faith by believer's baptism. You know what the Bible teaches about it. You don't get baptized to get to heaven, but it's obedience to God. Maybe there's some area, some other area you're like, you, you know God's word is true, but you're just kind of like maybe almost a Sunday Christian. You don't open up, up, open up the Bible very much at all. You're familiar with it, but you're not into, in, in God's word. You're not meditating upon God's word. You think you're ready to meet the Lord? You say, well, I'm still going to go to heaven. That's true if you're saved. But are you in fellowship with the Lord, allowing him to talk to you? Is there someone here who has sin that's unconfessed? You know you're harboring this, and this is not what God wants. It might be some bad spirit you have towards somebody else. It might be even a bad spirit you have towards the Lord. Would you be able to say, I'm right with God and have a bad spirit in your heart? I know not how God may work in your heart or how he's been working in your heart, but let's be ready. Let's be ready. Let's be confessed up. He that covereth the sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And God wants to humble us. He wants us to humble ourselves before his mighty hand. And he will graciously forgive us and get us to a place, no, not perfect, because that perfection's not going to come until heaven. But he'll get us a place where we are in sweet fellowship with him. And you're going to be able to, if you're in fellowship with him, say, I love Jesus. I love God. I wish I could even love him more. I'm so grateful for what he's done with my life. And you're going to want to share that good, wonderful, great news with others so that they can too come to know Jesus as their Savior. Are you ready? The Lord is coming. This is not just Baptist talk. This is not just evangelicalism. This is the Bible, God's word. He is going to come and he wants us to be ready to meet him. And when we hear the message, we encourage one another these words. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. Now, we're not at Easter yet, but we're getting there. Okay, this is Easter season. But you know what? There are some Christians who do this, and I'm probably going to do this when we come around that Sunday service. And instead of saying Happy Easter, nothing wrong, I guess, with saying that. My way of greeting this, and I was part of the Centurion play years ago, you know how Christians greeted each other? This is what they say. He is risen. He is risen. And he is risen. Indeed, he's risen. And because of his wonderful resurrection, we too are going to be part of that resurrection. Aren't you glad you're saved? Wow, what a joy we can have in a world that's filled with all kinds of bad stuff. I mean, heartaches and sorrow and pain and grief. 
we have a message of hope, the Lord's going to come for us. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. And we praise your holy name for this wonderful hope that we have in you. We are undeserving of your mercy, but you're so kind to us and loving that you provided a way through your son, the Lord Jesus, that we could be forgiven of our sin. Our sins could be nailed to the cross. Our sins could be removed as far as the east is from the west and buried in the deepest sea to remember no more. And it's all because of your son, the Lord Jesus. And someday, because of what he did for us, we're going to be able to be reunited with him. And even right now, means of your wonderful Holy Spirit, we can be in fellowship with our Savior. Thank you for the hope that we have in you. May, Lord, we go from here encouraging one another with this wonderful hope. And when we lose a loved one from this life uh, that knows you, Lord, we can still have hope that we'll see them again, be reunited with them. And uh, we thank you, dear God, for this wonderful message. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed for just a moment. Are you ready for the Lord to come? He could come. Have you invited Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? I'll not embarrass you, call your name out, but you say, I don't know for sure, but I want to make sure. Could I pray for you? Would you just slip your hand, put your hand up, and I'll pray for you in these moments, quietness these moments, say, I'm not sure, but I want to know for sure that God has saved me. You're here today, and you know, you know that God has saved you, and you're very thankful for that salvation. You know you're going to be able to go to heaven, and you believe that because of what Jesus has done for you. But perhaps there's some area of your life that you know you've allowed, either out of negligence or maybe even willfully, you allowed some things come in your life that are, you know that you're not really ready to meet the Lord. You don't want to be ashamed, but you want to ask God to forgive you, and you, you're willing to surrender this back over to the Lord in the quietness of these moments. Could I pray for you? Would you simply put your hand up and say, Pastor, pray for me? Okay, see the hand. Someone else? Okay, see the hand. Anyone else? Even now, where you're at, if there's some area, are you raising your hand or not? Say, Lord, I'm surrendering this to you. I want to be what you want me to be. And if it's a matter of asking him to forgive you, ask him to forgive you and he will forgive you. Matter of resolve. Say, God, this is I'm going to make some changes. And then you can be ready. Lord, please be with these who have indicated raising hand a special need. You, your Holy Spirit, you know that need. May you help them to find forgiveness. And may they have a, a heart to do what is right, make changes as needed. And I pray that each one of us, Lord, might be where you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, would you take your hymnal, please, and let's uh, turn to him. <clears throat>